We are talking about in this summer series the good news that Jesus offers to us in Scripture that helps us get through all the things that we're going through in life. And I think as a Christian, one of the greatest benefits that I've been blessed with is this truth that we're learning here today. And that is when you are a believer, God promises us that whatever we're going through, it's part of a test. And that test is just making us tough. It's making us strong. It's making us resilient so that we don't become victims and we don't victimize other people. You do notice that when people are going through difficult times, suffering or whatever, they have a tendency to either be the victim or victimize others through that process. And the good news is that what Jesus has done for us is he tells us that he's testing us through those things if we'll perceive them as a testing from God so that we can overcome following the example of Jesus Christ. Now, the reality is, is that life is full of suffering. There's going to be suffering. There'll be physical suffering. There'll be emotional suffering. There'll be spiritual suffering, be physical suffering. We spend a lot of money in this country trying to figure out how to ease our suffering. It's estimated that it costs us a combined $600 plus billion a year. I said that, $600 billion a year to treat the 100 million Americans who suffer with chronic pain. That's a third of Americans suffer with chronic pain, $600 billion we spend on that. Uh, as a matter of fact, maybe you've heard of uh, Pat Boone. He has been trying to help us recently with a product called Relief Factor. Uh, have you seen those commercials? He, he's out on the golf course with his big Hollywood glasses, and he says that he deals with pain and suffering and that he uses Relief Factor, and that helps him. And there are a lot of people who use the relief factor and others go to doctors to get other kinds of medications or whatever that they need. But there is a lot of physical and mental, emotional suffering in our world today. I hope we all realize that ultimately, or at the very basis of that, is the fact that we are broken. We are sinful people. Our bodies, because we follow in the pattern of Adam and Eve in our sin, it's just part of the experience we have in this world. That doesn't mean that if you have pain, that it is related to some sin that you're doing or you're committing in your life, although that can be quite possible. Those who suffer through physical pain do so as a result of injury or inheritance. Sometimes it's just genetic and then some of the pain comes because we're inactive. We're not doing what we need to do. We're indifferent. But we do learn a couple of things from the fact that we all go through pain. First, we will sacrifice to avoid or relieve our pain because we don't like it. If you do like your pain, they have a word for you. It's not a good word. None of us like pain. None of us like to de deal with the pain that we feel at the end of the day or after we've exercised or that's chronic within our bodies. None of us like it. 
So we'll do what we can to relieve it. Some people say, well, I'll never go to the doctor, but they have plenty of aspirin and the leave and ibuprofen in their cabinets. The second thing we learn is this. Pain and suffering in some form or another is inevitable. In this world, pain and suffering in one form or another is inevitable. Now, despite the the quote that's been attributed to Dalai, the Dalai Lama and others that pain is inevitable but suffering is optional. I'm not sure what they're thinking with that. And I read a lot of articles this week that tried to convince me that pain is inevitable but you don't have to suffer in your pain. I think the reality for us all is that the Bible confirms that we will suffer in this world. Matter of fact, it makes it pretty clear that all of us, in one form or another, must suffer through pain as part of our human experience. And the only good news about that is that we can either choose, here's the good news, we get to choose to suffer for the purpose of good, or we will suffer more than we could even imagine because we choose to do the wrong thing. We choose to do evil. Now, you're either going to choose to suffer for doing the right thing or you will be cursed to suffer for doing the wrong thing. There are no exceptions to this rule. And I can't understand why people would uh, indulge in temporal pleasures that they know will bring them long-term pain, but they do. And what God teaches us to do is to deny ourselves of temporal pleasures so that we can have long-term relief. Jesus proved this axiom which guides our thinking because, again, here's some good news. When we choose to suffer like Jesus did in which he died to sin once for all, we can be done with the power of sin in our life once and for all. But if we suffer doing evil, we will reap what we sow. And it will be much worse than we could ever imagine. Some people say, God doesn't care about our suffering or pain, because if he did, he wouldn't give it to us. Where is God when I'm in pain? Where is God when I'm suffering? Especially if I'm suffering at the hands of someone else. Well, he's right there. He's right there encouraging us to realize that pain is inevitable. He holds everyone accountable for the evil things that they do. You have to trust yourself to him and still do the right thing. The apostle of Jesus, his name was Peter. He instructs us about this truth in his first book to the churches. There was suffering among the believers because they were being insulted already for their faith. They were harassed. And there was some confusion about the suffering they would endure as part of God's testing of the church in this world. Part of the misunderstanding was, well, if we are doing good, why are we still suffering? Peter explains why. Peter points out that believers are suffering as a part of a time of judgment, which has begun for the faithful disciples of Jesus, and that the temporal pleasure sinners seek in this world will result in final and fatal judgment for them. And that's the reality we've got to live our lives in. So Peter reasons, if you're going to suffer anyway, 
you might as well suffer for the purpose of good in your life. Because if you think that you can indulge in the pleasure of life in a temporal sense, and God says that that's sinful or that's evil, it will not bring you long-term relief. If we want proof of that, we just need to open up 1 Peter. Let's start with 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 13 through 19. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 13 through 19, where it says, But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you're insulted, which means if you're chided or reproached or defamed, If you're insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed, for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer, that means to experience a sensation of pain. If you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name, for it is time for judgment The word judgment just means there's a decision being made. It is time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it's hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. Not to oversimplify this, but Peter makes it very clear that there's suffering in this world. We choose to suffer for Christ. And a lot of times we might get stuck in the idea that if we are suffering for Christ or in the name of Christ or like Christ, or as we are, as Peter says, we are participating in the sufferings of Christ, we better understand what that means. The sufferings of Christ are not a result of his doing evil. Jesus was perfect. He made no mistakes. However, Samuel, as I was going over this with the grandkids this morning on the way to church, this is what punishment for riding with me. I said, Jesus is perfect. And he said, uh, Papa, his hair was not perfect. And I said, what do you mean by that? And he says, well, if you had to, if you had to take a bath in the, the pond or the river, your hair wouldn't look good. You might have me there. But Jesus committed no sin, is the point I was trying to make to him. He chose that. And because he chose to be done with sin, and because he chose to go to the cross so that we could be done with sin, he had to suffer for that. He suffered for us. So when we participate in the sufferings of Jesus, it is something that we choose to do because we know that there's long-term blessing and relief for us just as there was for Jesus. He now sits at the right hand of the throne of God. He's exalted above every other name. So here's some good news. So hear it. Peter gives us insight into the strategy of the devil to intensify your suffering as a Christian. Just look what he did to Jesus. And he also offers us insight into the strategy God provides to indemnify indemnify you in your suffering. That just means he's going to ensure you, protect you, watch over you, seal you in the Holy Spirit. 
We learn that Satan will use others to corrupt you. And if they can't corrupt you, they will criticize you. And if you reject their criticism, they will try to cancel you. And that's the modern day version of cancel, not like kill, but like we think cancel, just to marginalize, you don't, you have no value. They will so devalue your name and character as to destroy your influence with other people. But when this happens, the good news is we should know how to indemnify ourselves. God will protect us and ensure our safety through the storm if we will do what Jesus did. Just like when Jesus was insulted, we must appeal to a higher power. And just like when Jesus suffered, we must adopt a superior attitude to our suffering and to those causing the suffering. I learned early on in my life that not everybody is real crazy about Christians. My first real summertime job, it was full-time, so I say real, was at B.F. Goodrich, which was a tire manufacturing company. And so I was uh, given a job, trained for a job that would require, uh, that that had a lot of vacation time during the summer, and that was mostly the older guys. So it was a good job to get. And I thank uh, Benny Smith. Uh, he was a friend of my dad. So he got me a good spot at the, the plant there. I didn't want to really make tires because making tires is the hardest thing to do. I got to just clean them up after they came out of the presses. But soon I learned that as people found out about me, they needed to give me a nickname. And so I think I've shared with you before, the nickname I was tagged with was Reverend Pup. I was studying to go to Bible college. They knew that. And so hence the Reverend. And since I was new and young, uh, just 17, I guess so. Yeah, I was already 18 years old when I started that job. Um, they were, uh, I was just, I was a pup. But what I couldn't expect is how hostile they were to the, the idea of Christianity in the plant. Not overtly, but just in the things that they said. They had no respect for Christ in there. They took his name in vain all the time. They took our Heavenly Father's name in vain all the time. They told all kinds of vile and dirty stories right there in front of me. They had no respect for the fact that I hadn't heard some of the things that they were talking about. They were hostile. It was, a, it, was a, it was a hostile environment for my Christianity. But there was an elder from the church I grew up in, First Christian Church in Miami. His name was Ray Cundiff. He worked there during the day, so I was trained during the graveyard shift, midnight to 8. And then I moved to days with him uh, after about three or four weeks. And I had a chance to watch him and observe him, how he handled things. And if I thought the graveyard shift was bad, the daytime shift was even worse. Ray didn't avoid the bullpen where a lot of these things would go on. He would take his book, sometimes his Bible. He'd go right down there, sit down in the bullpen, read his Bible and I noticed that it was almost like, and I don't know how to explain this, but it was almost like he had this power field around him, this shield around him. Like 
he would set and there was this clean clean space in this dirty plant that he was setting in and everyone around him was just covered in this darkness so he said come on over here and set with me um he was there when i was ordained in the ministry so i'm thankful for that this i was this was a little bit later on was ordained in ministry but um uh, so ray he took me under his wings and he explained to me that because he was a believer he had to put his mind on something else and that all these other things that were going on he couldn't let them bother him even if they tried and believe me at this point in his life they weren't even trying anymore He was a Christian, and he knew that there were people who were hostile to the idea of Christianity, if not by saying it, by the things they lived in, the things they did, and he was just able to work through that, live through that. Learned a lot in that. Didn't matter what the environment was. If I chose to suffer like Christ Jesus and deal with the insults that were coming my way, that's okay. All I had to do was appeal to a higher power and have a superior attitude about it. So when you're insulted, my encouragement to you today is appeal to a higher power. Always appeal to a higher power. Because here's the good news. Everybody will be judged for every word that they say, especially the careless words they say. That's why Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 21 through 23, to this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. How in the world did he do that? Instead, here's how he did it. He entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Entrusted himself. To God. Oh my goodness, how do you do that? Now, here's somebody who committed no sin. Some of the things we do, we might deserve uh, people commenting on, but God, and Jesus, he didn't. He just was a Christian. He believed in right and wrong, and that way in a hostile world in which there's evil, it's always going to be insulting to the believer. You just need to understand that. So, when we deal with it, we just have to appeal to a higher power, as Jesus did. When they hurled their insults, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. He just trusted God and did the right thing. Now, you might not think that that's very effective, but look at what Jesus did. He was here on this earth for, in ministry for about three years and he was able to connect with people because of his authenticity and his genuineness and his sense of God's presence in his life and went from that handful of believers to a world full of Christians. How did he do that? Well, he dealt with insults by appealing to a higher power. I play this game with my grandkids. It might seem cruel. They don't think it's cruel because they get it. But especially with Isabella, because, you know, uh, girls, they have a, sometimes they have a little harder time with people who insult them. And so I'll just insult her. I'll tell her her teeth are green, that her breath stings, that her hair is 
that her hair's messy, her face is ugly, and she, you know what she does? She goes, <laughs> oh, Papa. Do you know why she does that? Because she knows it's not true, and she knows I don't believe it. Now, when we are insulted by those who are in this world, whether they're insulting us directly, vehemently, they may be coming at, after you because you're a Christian, but most of the time, it's just they're hostile to, to, to good, and they're just living out their evil loudly, and that's insulting to us. I mean, if someone stood up here and bl- blurted out the F word here this morning, you'd probably be insulted by that. Oh, oh not in here, please. But we need to adopt the attitude of Jesus in which we appeal to a higher power and realize that we go through this because it is testing us. Just like I'm testing my grandkids by teaching them. People might say mean things about them, but if they're not true and they don't mean anything, don't listen to them. Just laugh it off and entrust yourself to God. And if you really want to help them out, you say, you know what? You know that that's not true and man I wouldn't want to be you on Judgment Day when God judges you for all those careless words. When you're insulted, appeal to a higher power. When you suffer, you need to adopt a superior attitude like Jesus. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 1 through 5. Peter says, Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body... Arm yourself also with the same attitude because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. This is the work we do. This is our testing. We are wanting to be done with sin. Here's how we do that practically. As a result, we do not live the rest of our earthly life for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you've spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. And they're surprised that you don't join them in their reckless, wild living, and they heap abuse on you. But they'll have to give an account to him who's ready to judge the living and the dead. People who indulge in evil in this world and who insult you because you try to do good, they're not having a good time. It might seem like they're having a pleasant time in the moment, the temporal pleasure versus the long-term effects. It always kind of throws people off. But most of the time, even in the midst of their debauchery or their lust or their drunkenness or their carousing, their idolatry, they're just trying to self-medicate in their misery. What we do is we decide that We will choose to suffer a little bit by saying no to the indulgence, no to the the temporal pleasure that we know is evil and that God says is wrong. We say no to that and we suffer a little bit in our bodies because we're denying ourselves pleasure. Jesus set this example for us so that we could be done with sin, so that we could live the rest of our earthly lives for God's will instead of for evil human desire. That's our suffering right now. That's our test right now. That's why we are tested tough right now. We say no to that, and God is making us tough through that. But then he reminds us, what's the outcome going to be for those who don't? And he reminds us here, they'll have to give an account to the judge who's ready to judge the living and the dead. 
Christians are always the bad people, you know, in books and movies and things like that. I've always wondered why. You know, I was growing up, I always longed for any kind of entertainment in which the Christian was a, they didn't have to be perfect, but they didn't have to be some kind of vile, evil, you know, satanic molester or something like that. It seems like all the movies, that's kind of how that appealed. And I, I just never have been able to understand why Christians are always characterized that way. Ben Shapiro in his book, Primetime Pop- Propaganda, thought the same question, thought the same thing. And, and he did ask, he asked people from Hollywood, a lot of uh, producers that you might be familiar with their names. Why is it? that they had this kind of hostility towards Christianity. And most often it tracked back to a bad experience they had with one Christian, a, you know, a, a disciplinary nun in Catholic school when they were growing up, or they might have had a father who was difficult and made things difficult on them because of their faith. So they wanted to illustrate to the world just how bad Christianity is. It wasn't fair. It wasn't equal. It wasn't uh, like they always demand kind of that kind of equality or equity of, of, of representation. It's not that. You might have one bad apple and they seem to spoil the whole bunch, but they never follow Christians who are actually genuine and authentic and say, yeah, they fail, they make mistakes, but they still live their life for Jesus. You're going to suffer because you're a Christian, but you should choose to suffer by just having a superior attitude about it. Something bad happens to you, entrust yourself to the Lord, realize that you're suffering just like Jesus. And especially if you are suffering as a result of your trying to do the right thing all the time. Now, here's some good news that you need to share. Peter also taught us that God is watching over us in our suffering, so much so that we can perceive it as a blessing, so we should never be afraid of others or what they say, but we should be prepared to tell everyone the reason for the hope that we have. The whole purpose of it is so it gives us a platform to share our faith. First Peter, uh, where are you? First Peter chapter 3, verse 10. Through 18. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Who's going to harm you if you're eager, eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you're blessed. Do you hear that? You're blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit.
Who's going to harm you? Even if you do suffer, God says, I got you, got your back. You're blessed if you do what's right. Don't worry about their threats. Don't be afraid. Don't be frightened by them. Just be ready to give an answer as to why you believe. Gently, respectfully. Our superior perspective allows us to think with that attitude. We know we're going through suffering, so if someone's going to speak maliciously against my good behavior in Christ, I'm not going to be ashamed of that because they will become ashamed of their slander. God will make it so. It seems bad at the time when we're going through suffering because we're choosing to do the right thing. But listen, it always turns out great when you know God has your back. When we had the flood last year in July, and uh, we sat down and we talked about things. I hope you realize that, you know, financially it was not a good time for us to have a flood. And it was not a good time for us uh, because we're still trying to recover from the COVID experience, all those different kinds of things financially. I was, I have to, you know, Lord, why would you put us through this at this time? And Jerry and Alan, bless their hearts, we talked about it, we prayed about it, we thought about it, and little did we realize what God had planned for us. Uh, if you haven't been back to the back to just see the work that has been done, Jerry's led the, the, the effort in that, and uh, Aaron's been painting up a storm back there. They've really done a great job fixing that. But... What, they really, what we've really been able to do is get through that, and we weren't suffering because of the good we were trying to do, but there is the, it's that whole process of when you're going through suffering, the perspective you have to have is that God has a good reason for it if you just keep doing the right thing, if you keep the right attitude, if you keep praying to Him, appeal to Him, honor Him, and He promises He will take care of us, and He did. Not only do we have enough money to to fix that up but god bless us with another source of blessing that is um will bless us for a long time you know we are tested tough through suffering we can even be tested tough through the the physical you know if you have pain in your life if you suffer from bodily pain nerve um uh, whatever it might be that that you're going on in your life the the other thing about that is that God wants us to call upon him for his help. He never wants us to indulge in that which is wrong to address it. Because the two is all part of being tested tough through our suffering. And that's part of God's plan. He would rather you pass the test now and avoid judgment later when it is final and fatal, which is the fate of all who do not believe. And some people say, that's cruel to say that. It's cruel if we don't. We've got to give them a chance. That's where sharing with your friends is good news. so very important. You've got to give them a chance. Otherwise, they will be judged, and it will be final and fatal. And they're 
their evil or godless lifestyle and the hostility that it creates in this world that insults the the pure and those who seek to be pure, God will hold them accountable for that. And that's not something we should go, (laughs) you'll get yours. We should be happy about it. But it should help us to understand how we can remain strong and turn that around so that we can be ready to give an answer to everyone for the hope that we have. Your friends and family, your co-workers, they may not understand any of this. So, I got some ideas for you. Invite them to watch this sermon online or stream it on our Anchor podcast. And they can just listen to the sermon itself, just stream it. It comes right in their ears. Or better yet, you can talk to them. What's your My Five? Remember last week we talked about the My Five? You got your My Fives? The five people you're going to try to reach out to this year and just pray for them and talk to them about Jesus? Talk to your My Five and say, listen, we, we had this sermon on Sunday. And now you don't have to lie and say it was great or life-changing or anything like that. But just, it was challenged me to think about my suffering. And I realized that as I suffer... My testing time is now, and God is making me strong. But the suffering you're going through makes no sense because it's leading to destruction in your life. Challenge them with this truth because it's better to suffer for doing good with great reward than to suffer for doing evil with great punishment. Now, most people, when... (laughs) As an example, most people, when you buy a smartphone, what's another thing we normally buy with it? Not the charger. Not the earbuds. Hmm? Protective, yeah. A lot of times when we buy this expensive or whatever level cell phone, we want to put it in a in some kind of protective thing because the first two cell phones I ever bought, I dropped within two minutes or <laughs> one time we I got a new phone, dropped it at Walmart, kicked it, it slid way like a hundred feet down the aisle underneath some kind of cabinet. Thank goodness it didn't break. We got these protective glass covers that make them out of gorilla glass. I think what that means is that even if you're not a gorilla, you can still break it because <laughs> it's not that time. But no, we protect it. It's got sensitive gadgetry on the inside. It's got this thing and the protective covers. They're shockproof. They're dirtproof. They're waterproof. Anybody think you know where I'm going with this? People are always dropping their phones. We get them dirty, especially when we hand them to our grandkids. How many times have you dropped your phone in the toilet? Been outside, just, you know, you've got your phone in your pocket and you've got a grinder or something right next to it. It's just just vibrating. Smartphone is one of the most sophisticated and sensitive pieces of equipment that you'll ever own. There's more power in your smartphone than they had in the computers in Apollo 13. You heard that one in in their computer room there at NASA. We know our phones will suffer. We know that they're going to have impacts that might hurt them, so we protect them. We indemnify them. 
just like God does for us. He wants to make you shockproof. Don't be shocked at what people say to you. They're going to say the vilest things around you to insult your Christianity. Don't be impacted by it. God makes us shockproof by saying, hey, listen, just appeal to a higher power. He's going to make you dirt proof. How do he do that? Well, by making you suffer like Jesus did by choosing to say no to sin and yes to righteousness so that you can be done with sin. Don't indulge with them. They, that's what they want you to do. And instead of waterproof, may I indulge and just say make you fireproof. He gives us Jesus to protect us. And Jesus does a great job for that. with that. He gives us the ability to always appeal to a higher power than the one who insults us. And here, just remember this. The person who's insulting you, you always have to consider, well, what authority do they have to make that accusation against you? Then you realize, well, maybe they're speaking in the name of Satan. And Jesus said to Satan, shut up. I won't even entertain a charge against my anointed, my children. Just laugh. <laughs> and if you want to add, you don't have to do this. It's kind of me. It might be insulting to talk about the judgment. But be ready to give the reason why you're laughing. Just like a protective cover makes us tested tough. Jesus was tested tough too. And he wraps himself around us through his words and his teachings as we are his disciples so that we know that whatever shock or filth or storm or fire comes our way, we're tested tough through it all. Tested tough. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful today to be able to dig into Peter's words and Try to engage our thoughts in the wisdom that he offers to us. And if we are insulted or we're suffering because we're trying to live for Jesus, help us to the ability to just appeal to you as the higher power in all things and to, to have the kind of attitude that's superior to the situation. Not that that makes us better. It's just a better, it's just a better way to approach it. And, Lord, we know that we all have suffering, and the older we get, Lord, the, the more pains I have as we deal with those kinds of physical pains, the emotional pains, the mental pains that just come with life. Help us to put our faith and our trust in you, our confidence in you. And always keep in mind that someday we will be swallowed up in victory. And this old body and all its pain will be put away, and we will be in a different form before you where there's no tears, no sorrow no pain. We look forward to that. But as we live in this world right now, we pray that you would continue to test us and make us tough for the world in which we live so that we have the platform to share with others the good news of Jesus and of your Son. Offering that wisdom with gentleness and respect. As we think about those five people, Lord, today that we want to reach out to this year, as we picture their faces in our minds right now, we pray for them. I pray for all those who are here and those five people that they're thinking about right now. And I pray, Lord, that you'd start opening opportunities for the come join us at church or to be open to 
listening to or watching the, the messages online or however we can get them to hear the good news. And then we do pray. We pray for our hundred as we get towards the end of the year. We pray for it, trusting you. We believe in you, Father. Just use us and help us to know what we need to do each day to get there. We pray this in the precious name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Let all God's people say,